What up, family? Welcome to episode 119 of The Genius Life. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods and The Genius Life. I am so excited for you to be with me for this episode of the show, in which I welcome Dr. Leonardo Trasande, MD. He's an internationally renowned leader in children's environmental health. He's also the author of the new book, Sicker, Fatter, Poorer, The Urgent Threat of Hormone-Disrupting Chemicals to Our Health and Future, and what we can do about it. I loved having this chat with Dr. Trasande. He is a powerhouse of knowledge, and we talk all about chemical obesogens that are probably very likely lurking in your environment right now, contributing to an ever-expanding waistline for all of us, irrespective of calories uh, consumed. He talks about xenoestrogens, which can negatively affect your system of sex hormones, influencing your risk for certain cancers and even developmental problems, and what chemicals in in particular we need to worry about. Um, he talks all about herbicides and pesticides and flame retardants and what they're doing uh, collectively to our cognition, the cognitive cost of all these chemicals. Um, so there's going to be a lot that we discuss, and uh, it, it was really a potent conversation I felt on toxicology and why we all need to be taking these chemicals more seriously. I've talked about it in, I've talked about them in my recent book, The Genius Life, and uh, I was really excited to have the opportunity to speak to a, a bona fide expert like Dr. Trisande. Um, he's also a wonderful communicator, and so I have a feeling this is going to be one of those episodes that you come back to again and again. It's going to scare you, but it's also going to blow your mind and ultimately empower you with knowledge, uh, and that's what we're all about here on The Genius Life. So, so strap on your seatbelts and get ready for uh, a wild ride. Before we dive in, this episode is brought to you by my good friends at Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic, uh, they are the purveyors of the finest medicinal mushrooms in all the land. You can go to their website, foursigmatic.com slash max and check out uh, a whole range of quote unquote medicinal mushrooms, including reishi and chaga and lion's mane. I love to throw lion's mane um, in my coffee, whether it's caffeinated coffee or decaf coffee uh, for the added cognitive boost that lion's mane may provide. I feel like it acts synergistically with the coffee. And um, yeah, I just love it. It also has kind of like a mildly sweet flavor, but has no sugar. All of the four sigmatic uh, mushrooms are very low in starch. They also use Use the most uh, potent and powerful part of the mushrooms, the fruiting bodies, none of that mycelium stuff, which is, you know, essentially worthless. Uh, and, you know, I also love their reishi, which I will consume sometimes in the evening because, you know, people tend to feel that it, it can help mellow them out. All of these mushrooms are basically adaptogens, so they reduce stress. I'm a huge fan. If you want to check out Anything that Four Sigmatic has to offer, go to foursigmatic.com slash max or use promo code max and you'll get to save 15% off. That is the deepest discount you're going to find on Four Sigmatic products in all the land. So check them out and uh, yeah, let me know what you think. Um, tweet at me. This episode is also brought to you by my good friends at Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon make a line of grain-free, sugar-free, low-carb, high-protein, dairy-based cereals that are so delicious they may as well be actual magic i kid you not 
Uh, they just came out with a new flavor, their peanut butter flavor, and it is like the tastiest thing that I've ever had. Um, their frosted flavors taste like frosted flakes. You know, if you were, are anything like me, you grew up eating that stuff um, by the bowl full. Uh, they have like a cinnamon flavor. They have cocoa. They have like a fruit, fruity type of cereal. Um, what I love about their cereals is that they can help you meet your protein goals. Uh, you know, they support whatever your fitness needs or, or goals happen to be um, because they're high in protein. They're also perfectly suitable for a, a ketogenic diet, a sugar-free diet, a low-carb diet. So check them out. If you go to magicspoon.com and use promo code Genius, you'll get to save on shipping. So free shipping if you go to magicspoon.com and use promo code Genius free shipping and i am telling you their cereals are amazing you could eat them in the morning for breakfast you could eat them after dinner for dessert they're just super versatile and again delicious so enjoy thank you magic spoon for sponsoring this episode of the show you guys thank you so much for listening to my sponsor messages uh, i only allow sponsors to get involved with the show if I genuinely like and use their products. So um, yeah, by you picking up any of the products that I advertise on the show, you are supporting the show. So keep that in mind and thank you for your patronage. I want to give a shout out to iTunes user Inspired RN who left a wonderful glowing personal review for the show on iTunes. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's kind of long, but I'm just going to excerpt it. Um, Inspired RN wrote, you have no idea how much your podcast and your book, The Genius Life, has inspired me. I found your podcast after listening to an episode of The Minimalists. I listened to your advice and the research you discovered, and I decided to cut out processed food and grains. My eczema cleared up, my energy levels increased, and my mood is on the up and up. I feel like my genes are no longer a death sentence. You give listeners a down-to-earth version of a low-carb diet and also amazing advice on reasons to lose weight. It's not just for a great body, but for longevity and optimal quality of life. I appreciate the knowledge you're sharing that will help others to avoid this pain. Thank you again, Inspired RN. Well, thank you for leaving that message. Um, I, uh, you don't know how much I appreciate that, especially I'm assuming you're a nurse um, based on your, on your username. And I just love when my message reaches healthcare practitioners because it really gets to the root cause of, you know, how healthcare is sort of practiced in this country. So um, and around the world. So thank you so much, Inspired RN. And to all you guys who've left a rating and review for the show, I really appreciate you. Please take a moment to uh, leave a review for the show. It doesn't have to be long. It could be just a few words, a few sentences. Um, I read them all. And uh, I would love to hear from you what you'd like to see more of on the show, what you'd like to see less of. I'm all ears and I'm always willing to um, iterate. And uh, and yeah, I just you know love hearing from you. Join my newsletter at maxlugavir.com. Uh, text the word genius to 310-299-9401 if you live in the U.S. or Canada to join my text message community. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash maxlugavere. And yeah, that's it. Now, without further ado, I'm excited for you to listen to Dr. Leo Tresande, author of Sicker, Fatter, Poor, The Urgent Threat of Hormone-Disrupting Chemicals to Our Health and Future and What We Can Do About It. Again, this is going to be a mind-blowing chat. So, um, yeah, here we go. Dr. Trisande, thank you so much for being with me on The Genius Life. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you. 
Well, I, uh, I have to say, I read your book, Sicker, Fatter, Poorer, and um, it's definitely one of the best, if not the best books that I've read on the topic of endocrine disruption and environmental toxicity, um, especially as it pertains to uh, the, the endocrine system and how treacherous it is to, to mess with that system, for lack of a better term, across the lifespan. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you. I'm looking forward to it. There's a lot we can learn and a lot of hope we can uh, take forward in lessons to prevent exposure. Yeah. So why don't we start um, for people who have not yet um, read the book? What's uh, I guess your your background? What's um, what kinds of things do you study? Uh, I know you're a medical doctor. What um, what type of medicine do you practice? I'm a pediatrician and I study the effects of common contaminants in the environment. I focus mostly in my work on kids, but I have also evolved in my work to realize that we are all affected uh, by common chemical contaminants in our lives. And there are benefits all across the lifespan to uh, proactively taking safe and simple steps to limit exposures. Love that. Um, this is a topic that I've become just fascinated with ever since I discovered the Endocrine Disruption Exchange. Are you aware of that organization? Yes, unfortunately, that uh, organization has really uh, turned down. Um, it's The information has been passed on to another legacy organization. Hmm. Um, and I'm sad about it because the, the person who really got that started uh, the late Theo Colborn is in many ways the grandmother to all of us who do the research uh, in this field. She and Rachel Carson are really two of the um, standard bearers of the field of scientific research that we all pursue. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is obviously uh, a huge topic, but would love to um you know, really do a deep dive and and then leave my listeners with, uh, you know, the actions that they can take to minimize their exposure to these types of compounds. In your book, you make it really simple. You break it down into four key areas. Do you want to share what those, those are in terms of environmental toxins that we're most routinely perhaps exposed to? Sure. Let's start by defining some basic terms. So hormones are our natural signaling molecules. They send traffic signals all across uh, the human body. Uh, they underlie everything from maintaining uh, the right body temperature, healthy metabolism, salt, sugar, even sex. And they're natural molecules. And endocrine disrupting chemicals are synthetic foreign molecules that hack those natural signals and thereby contribute to disease and disability. Uh, we now know of about a thousand synthetic chemicals that can hack those natural hormones and thereby contribute to disease and disability. And the evidence is strongest for four categories of chemicals. Blame retardants used in electronics and furniture, pesticides used in agriculture, phthalates used in personal care products, cosmetics and food packaging, and bisphenols that are used in aluminum can linings and thermal paper receipts. Wow. So with a thousand of these chemicals out in the wild, how does one begin to uh, get informed about them and where they lurk without driving uh, themselves crazy? Well, the good news is that you don't need a PhD in chemistry 
uh, or read all of the latest literature, follow all the latest news to know the safe and simple steps to uh, prevent these exposures. And yes, there are some steps our government officials, our leaders need to also take to step up their game. But we've seen so much progress and so much hope in limiting these exposures through uh, all of us uniting and really um, speaking with the power of our pocketbooks, our wallets and our purses. It's so true. Um, So I guess let's start. I mean, one by one. Um, well, I guess before we get into each of the individual categories, what are the dangers of tinkering? You, you so eloquently defined for us what hormones do and their myriad functions in the body. But what are the potential dangers of um, inadvertently altering their their function? So the first thread of evidence and the strongest evidence to this day is about the effects of these contaminants on the developing brains of all of us, but especially kids. And that really dates to our understanding of thyroid hormone as the master growth factor of the developing brain all across the lifespan. Um, And we used to think that It was only newborn levels of thyroid hormone that were important. We still to this day do a newborn screening test in every baby born in the U.S. uh, to make sure their thyroid hormone is working because gross dysfunction in that thyroid hormone can lead to intellectual disability as well as other devastating consequences. And you can treat that. You give a child thyroid hormone, replace that thyroid hormone, and there's no problem whatsoever. You've essentially stopped a child from a permanent and lifelong disability. Now we know that thyroid hormone is important not just for newborns and infants, but for earlier phases of development. So when a pregnant mom has... Uh, even a subtle disruption of her thyroid hormone production. And that's important because babies don't make thyroid hormone until the second trimester of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So in that first and second trimester of pregnancy, you have a disruption in the mother that then passes across the placenta and into, into the baby that can have permanent and lifelong consequences for that child's brain development. We know if you disrupt thyroid hormone, even in the clinically normal range, this means that you can't, let's say, go to the obstetrician and draw blood and find out who's affected. Even within that clinically normal range, subtle shifts in thyroid hormone have been associated with cognitive deficits, not to mention autism and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And so that means that subtle effects of these exposures that disrupt thyroid hormone can um, produce serious and adverse health effects. The two chemicals categories that are known best for their effects on the developing brain are pesticides and flame retardants. And it's not just effects on neuropsychological testing that have been detected in relationship to these exposures. It's also uh, magnetic resonance imaging, that is images of the brains of kids who are highly exposed show specific deficits in parts of the brain, the frontal and parietal cortex that are important for those higher order learning functions, um, really matching the neuropsychological tests that uh, psychologists do in kids. So you have this uh, 
a fingerprint that matches all the way through different ways you look at the effects. So the evidence here is is really robust. Um, then the second and most rapidly accelerating area where there's great concern is about chemicals making us fatter. So we used to be taught and we're still taught to a large extent today that calories in, calories out matter. And I'm not saying that unhealthy diet and poor physical activity aren't the major drivers of the obesity epidemic we're still dealing with in the US and across the world today. But we know that synthetic chemical exposures that mess with hormones can disrupt metabolism and increase weight gain, not to mention increased risk for diabetes and other consequences. There are now 50 or so, for example, chemical obesogens that are known. Uh, One of the prototypes is bisphenol A or BPA, which is used in aluminum can linings and thermal paper receipts, those glossy receipts you get in the coffee shop. And BPA makes fat cells bigger disrupts the function of a protein that protects the heart called adiponectin. And it's actually a synthetic estrogen, so it can have sex-specific effects on body mass, um, contributing to obesity that way. Um, Another example of a chemical category that contributes to obesity are these, uh, they've gotten attention in the news lately, uh, are these forever chemicals, perfluoroalkyl substances or PFAS. They're very widespread water contaminants in the US. 110 million people have elevated levels. And what they found in the case of a PFAS is that it literally turns the body's thermostat the wrong way, such that their metabolic rate is lower than it should be. Wow. Um, wow. So in adults who've successfully lost weight, through healthy diet and physical activity. This is a a trial in which they studied this, a clinical trial where they saw these effects. They then measured the blood levels of these PFAS, and the ones who regained the weight back were the ones with the higher PFAS levels. And then they looked further, and the PFAS levels were associated with this lower resting metabolic rate. So really, you almost have this perfect mechanistic path by which these chemicals, independent of anything good you're doing through healthy diet and physical activity, that can wreck uh, hard-fought health gains in people's lives. Yeah. I mean, you bring up such a good point. Um, You know, the whole calories in, calories out model of obesity. What you're saying doesn't refute that model. But what it does say, what it does suggest is that these chemicals can have a negative influence on the calories outside of the equation. If it if they're negatively affecting your metabolism, as you articulated um, or as you as you suggested, they do. That's right. So another category of chemicals that operates a different way are the plasticizers or phthalates. They um, disrupt the the expression of of certain genes. They don't change the, the code of DNA, but they change little signaling molecules on that DNA. And what that does is it changes how the body responds to fat or sugar loads. So imagine you've done a good job. You've had a a protein-heavy meal. Maybe you're going keto or paleo or whichever diet you're on, and you're thinking to yourself, well, I've set the body up for success. What happens is these chemicals rewire how calories are sent across the body and stored. So instead of making muscle, let's say you had a workout after that good, healthy, uh, protein-rich meal, uh, you expect it to go to the right spot. These chemicals hack how the body 
processes them and wow. puts it in fat in, as opposed to muscle, undermining all the right things that you're trying to do. Wow, that is shocking. Um, and so, I mean, I guess a, a question uh, that many of my listeners probably have at this point is at what dose do these compounds, we've talked about chemical obesogens like PFAS chemicals and BPA, um, and then, uh, you know, pesticides and flame retardants and their influence on the thyroid. At what dose do we really need to be concerned about these chemicals uh, having a physiologic effect? And are we being exposed to these doses, those doses um, in a, in a, in the, in a realistic sense? It's a great question. And if you asked me that question when I was a medical student in the 1990s, I would shake my head a little bit, wave you off and say, oh, the dose makes the poison. And there's a famous phrase by this Swiss philosopher Paracelsus from the 1500s that says only the dose makes the thing a poison. It's underlying every bit of scientific education that medical doctors, uh, toxicologists have gotten for hundreds of years now. And we used to think that that was right. It's like everything in moderation. It's common sense. What we know now with these endocrine disrupting chemicals is that they don't follow the rules. Hmm. And there are molecular mechanisms that explain why the human body is not uh, you know, so straightforward that the human brain can read it out right in one shot. Uh, and unfortunately, we've learned that the hard way. So we we know that little things in particular matter. There are effects at extremely low doses uh, that can trigger the kinds of hormonal changes that we're talking about in the human body. And they can also behave in a hit and run kind of way. So you can have an exposure at a vulnerable time window, do everything right thereafter. And then the body is set up through a ticking time bomb kind of mechanism, either through expression of genes that are already wired to go or some other programming in the body, such that those low dose exposures can have effects that are outsized to what we used to think uh, was the way to go. Wow. So the typical dose makes the poison. I mean, if people could kind of visualize what that looks like, that's like a a straight line on a graph, right? With an, with an increasing dose, you get increasing danger, increasing toxicity, but then, so what you're saying about these chemicals is that, 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 that curve might not necessarily be so linear. You might have overt toxicity at a high dose And then you might have, you know, a completely different effect at a low dose. So it might look instead of like a line, like more like a U. Correct. It it can look like a roller coaster. So you can actually have um, middling doses where the effect is contradicted uh, because there's actually some other kind of healthy mechanism competing with the main mechanism you might in middle doses turn on a different set of genes or receptors. These are proteins that we use to signal functions in cells that mitigate the effects. And then the mitigation is overcome at those higher doses, bringing you back to where you were in the first place. It doesn't mean that middle levels are, are safer. It's just that the body is complicated. And so the way we usually make 
policy decisions or, or decisions about safety are flawed because they're based on this assumption that a straight line relationship applies and you can extrapolate effects from high level uh, intentional experiments done in mice or, or animals or just basic tissues. And unfortunately, this U-shaped function really blows that whole antiquated mindset out. And unfortunately, uh, regulation and certain scientific fields really haven't caught up to this reality, this paradigm shift. So important. So, I mean, some some might have heard of this term, and I'm only vaguely familiar with how it is uh, assessed. But the no observable adverse effects level is that is that sort of a uh, one of these antiquated um, toxicology, uh, you know, assessments or 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 doses, which um, you're saying doesn't necessarily apply to these endocrine disrupting compounds. Yes. So you take a bunch, usually it's animals, at least that was the old way. Now we're being a bit more modern and protective of animals, which I, I don't have a problem with if you get good data that informs human health. Um, we can talk more about that later. But you take low, you, you go step by step lower and lower levels. And when you stop seeing effects, you then make some assumptions that all the doses that are lower are really not a problem and that the human body can deal with it the same way a mouse or a cell uh, culture or tissue uh, in a a little petri dish might work. Um, Unfortunately, we know that you could be on the bottom of the roller coaster ride or at the top of the roller coaster ride. Um, and you really actually have to drill down to lower and lower levels. Um, and this has not just been found in human studies, it's also been found in uh, more carefully performed laboratory studies. The other issue here is that much of the field of toxicology, and I'm not trying to throw the whole scientific field under the bus here. Uh, but they use very crude measures of what is a negative effect. So they look at weights of tissues or they look at uh, gross effects as opposed to what we now know is you can change how genes are regulated. You can have subtle metabolic effects that are clinically important at a human level. So it's really getting the right readout that's also part of the problem. Hey guys, it's me again. I just want to give a shout out to one of the sponsors of this episode, Teton Waters Ranch. They make a line of super, super delicious and super healthy, 100% grass-fed and finished beef products, including uh, burgers that are pre-seasoned. All you got to do is unwrap them, throw them on the grill this summer, and hot dogs. When was the last time you had a hot dog and felt good about eating it. Um, Teton Waters Ranch, uh, all their beef products are um, come from cows that have been humanely treated, certified humane. Uh, again, 100% grass-fed, grass-finished, meaning they're going to have healthy fats in them. Good for you and good for the planet. Uh, the products are available at Costco, Whole Foods, Hannaford's, Safeway, Albertsons. Uh, if you live in LA, they are at Erewhon. Um, so make sure on your next supermarket trip, you look out for Teton Waters Ranch. Hot dogs, breakfast sausages, ham burgers really really tasty stuff and super healthy feel good about feeding them to your family yeah you know all about that learn more at tetonwatersranch.com slash max and now back to the episode with dr trasande so we've talked about 
well, we've we've brief, briefly touched on the four different categories of environmental toxins that I think are going to be the low hanging fruit in people's lives that they can that they can you know identify and avoid. But let's just go through them. So we have flame retardants. Where are people being exposed to flame retardants today? There's some good news with respect to flame retardants. We've come a long way since the 1970s and 80s. So um, I hate to bust on California. Usually Mm -hmm. California is the most uh, proactive and environmentally conscious state amongst all the 50 states. But in the 1970s, California required that flame retardants be added to every piece of furniture under the sun. Now, this was in the context of the tobacco era. I remember people dying from fires in their homes where they would fall asleep smoking a cigarette and the ashes would find their way to a spot. And the idea was that flame retardants would give you time to respond to a fire, stop it or get out of the home and save lives. Unfortunately, we know that these chemicals, which are intentionally sprayed into upholstery, neither save lives uh, nor have any appreciable uh, uh, impact on the spread of fire. The bad news is that with no benefit, we've seen a cost. Uh, And that's a a cost in terms of kids' ability to contribute to society because, you know, a child goes back from school with one less IQ point Maybe mom might not notice, the teacher might not notice, pediatrician might not notice, but if 100,000 children come back with one less IQ point, the entire economy notices because Mm. every child with one less IQ is worth about $20,000 in lifetime economic productivity. And you multiply that across 4 million kids born each year, you get a lot of zeros on the right side of the dollar number. So this isn't just what we're talking about here. It's not just a human health story. It's an economic story. This is arising because there are companies that profit, but there are real stakes uh, in people's lives and in the economy of failing to prevent these exposures. And it's really about making that trade-off clear and simple. But let's bring it back to flame retardants for a second, because California did do the right thing in 2013 and stopped requiring flame retardants be added. They changed the rules for how you test for flammability. And um, that means that you have a label now that you can look for furniture and you can see if flame retardants have been added or not added. Uh, And that's the good news here is that that major major furniture manufacturers are doing the right thing and uh, documenting when they have something and not have something. And consumers are really uh, voting with their money and buying furniture free of these flame retardants. So in addition, that doesn't mean you don't throw out, that doesn't mean you throw out any old furniture you have at home. It's sprayed into the upholstery. It's really when the upholstery gets torn or ripped open that you can have a great greater propensity for these flame retardants to get into dust and into people's bodies. Hmm. So covering it with a slip cover cloth, preferably, is a, a good way to limit that exposure. Maybe that's the time if it's ripped or torn to um, throw it away. I wouldn't donate it because then you're recycling it to someone else and really 
passing the uh, kicking the can uh, at some level. Um, and another thing to do, because these flame retardants are used in, in electronics as well, and I'm not suggesting you get them out of all electronics. After all, you don't want your computer to explode out of the blue. So there are some real reasons where you may just need to use these flame retardants, but simply opening the window and recirculating the air and using a wet mop are two straightforward steps to limit the accumulation of these persistent organic pollutant dust uh, in people's personal environment, in their homes, in their workplaces, and in their bodies. Yeah, the ventilation tip is so important. I mean, I think one of the things that we're seeing with these modern homes is that they're becoming increasingly uh, better sealed as a way of cutting um, cost. But that has come at an at a cost um, in terms of our health because it's allowing for less ventilation, and so we're our home our home air is becoming a lot more uh, polluted as a result. That's right, and I'm all for energy efficiency, um, and at the same time, nothing that I've described here requires major expense or extra. Time. Some of the other exposures we can talk about, there are some trade-offs. They've gotten easier with time. Uh, but I like to say with ease exposures, you don't need a PhD in chemistry. You don't have to break the bank. Yeah, that's so, so important. I actually recently moved into a new place and I was on the market for a mattress. And uh, I bought a mattress that uh, specifically did not have, does not have any flame retardants in it. Do you think that that's a worthwhile um <laughs> You know, if you're going to maybe invest in in one higher quality piece of furniture that is, uh, well, actually, are, is furniture without flame retardants? Does it do, does that do those pieces tend to be more expensive? And when it comes to our mattresses, would you say that that's an area where we should really look to make sure that we're you know sleeping on uh, you know a, a mattress made with minimal toxic products, no flame retardants, and things like that? Or is it is you know that just one piece of the larger puzzle? These are two great questions. I'm going to take them one at a time. So let's talk about furniture first. So as the attention came to the fore to these flame retardants, uh, companies started shifting and it didn't appreciably change prices. The major companies simply told their upstream providers of core materials, hey, stop putting this in in, uh, my upholstery. So I can make a product that's free of these chemicals. And that didn't change things much. It tells you that just a little bit of public attention and power of the consumer really goes a long way. Um, I would say that mattresses are an area where there's still been uh, some resistance to this and maybe not as much attention um, as it could. Uh, the same principles should apply. There shouldn't really be a price difference in seeking out flame retardant-free materials. There just isn't a reason why it's cheaper to make something with a flame retardant as opposed to without. Um, we have seen progress. Uh, it's not just one or two companies now that have these flame retardant-free uh, mattresses. Um, in at the end of the day, if there are some limitations right now in terms of finding them, so am I saying if you're resource limited that that's the one thing you should focus on? I 
think there's lower hanging fruit than that. I do, as a matter of principle in my own life, seek out those things uh, because, first of all, you're making a statement and pushing the market in the right direction um, and can have the resources to do that. But leaving that aside, there's so much we can do to limit these exposures that I I th- again, getting down to every single environment and focus and, and going after every single potential component of people's lives can drive you crazy and also distract you from the lower hanging fruit yeah. and the high yield stuff. Couldn't agree more. I want to get into those to those low hanging fruit. But yeah, I mean, I definitely paid a lot for the for the mattress that I bought. And you got me thinking that there's probably a green tax just as much as there is a pink tax. Have you are you familiar with this concept of the pink tax? Yes. Yeah. Just that, you know, women's products, they could be identical to the same to a product sold to men, but they're just they're priced higher because they know that women will pay more for it. And they're probably doing the same thing. Unfortunately, it's obnoxious uh, with products that are you know marketed as healthier even though they're probably less expensive to produce um you know because they're they're not using any of these chemicals um so why would they be more expensive so that that would be my hypothesis um unfortunately but you're right i completely agree that voting with your wallet to shift the market um if you are in a position of you know of privilege to be able to do that i think that's a great that's a that's great advice so moving on, uh, we talked a little bit about pesticides. Um, so I want to, if if you can, give us the lay of the land there. What types of pesticides do we need to be um, mindful of and how should that guide our, our shopping? So the evidence is strongest for the synthetic pesticides and their impact on the developing brains of kids, particularly the organophosphate pesticides uh, that are unfortunately still allowed for use in agriculture because the current US EPA didn't uh, perceive the evidence as significant enough uh, to do an outright ban on those uncertain pesticides in particular. So they're still used in many places where fruits and vegetables are grown. Um, And I'm keenly aware, this is another good example of watching out for price differences and making sure that all people can get the benefits of of the key effects we need to to prevent in people's lives. Um, 10 years ago, I probably, I work at Bellevue Hospital, which is the flagship of the public hospital system in New York City. And uh, in my early days working there, I was not suggesting eating organic. And that's because the price margins were big. And in a context of low, low, low income communities and resource limitations, um, that can be a very problematic trade off. The good news is that through the attention on eating organic and the benefits that have been described, we've seen a major shift in market share such that there's been more competition towards making things organic and that has really lowered the the profit margin and that green tax has evaporated uh, to some extent uh, such that now you see the big box stores putting organic and conventional uh, side by side with very similar prices. It's not a zero difference, don't get me wrong. And we've got some progress to make on this front. Um, in addition, there are 
priority fruits and vegetables. So an avocado, for instance, you don't eat the outer layer, and that's where a pesticide will reside. It doesn't penetrate that harder shell as easily. But in contrast to a piece of spinach or a piece of lettuce, you eat that outer layer. There's really and washing it off with water. Soap doesn't do any better. Harsh chemicals and actually introduce more effects. Um, you can't wash off that pesticide so easily. So, or if I there are is a so-called dirty dozen uh, and a similar clean fifteen that Environmental Work Group has described, uh, and they really follow the pesticide residue data super carefully and provide clear advice. But it, when if you, if you don't have your app handy. Uh, uh, from environmental working group uh, called healthy living or you don't have the internet where at the particular time you're shopping it's really boils down to common sense if you eat that outer layer it those are the fruits and vegetables you want to prioritize organic if you don't eat the outer layer it's less important you may as a personal matter of making a statement want to support organic agriculture even if even for those other fruits and vegetables uh, but it's not not the priority and it's really accessible now such that intervention studies have shown in low income as well as high income populations reductions in pesticide bubbles and kids what does the science say about um the the potential dangers of conventional conventional you know pesticides that are approved for use in conventional agriculture versus the organic approved pesticides because we know that there are certain pesticides that are used that are approved for use in organic ag right it's not to say they're they're free of toxicity period um, I'm aware as anyone that many of these pesticides back in the day were arsenic based or even lead based going way back. Fortunately, that's really phased out. Um, but when you put the studies that have looked, for example, at organic food consumption, as opposed to a, not a conventional food consumption, um, even for outcomes like certain cancers, you see differences that are favorable to organic uh, consumption. Um, it's not to say the evidence is perfect. You know, we're observing people. We're not doing randomized control trials. Imagine giving somebody intentionally an exposure to pesticide. You know how hard it is to do a randomized control trial of pesticide exposure. Um, but that gives you a flavor of the benefit when you compare conventional versus organic. It's not to say that there's a freedom from any potential toxicity. It's just that there is, an, at the very least, an incremental benefit when we look at uh, some of the key outcomes that have been described. What should people do if they can't? Um, I mean, you've talked about how the barrier to entry to buying organic produce is, has come down. But for people for whom you know organic is still too expensive or maybe it's just hard to access, what should they yep. do? Totally reasonable question. So a close second um, are the local farmers markets that have abounded even in resource poor settings uh, of late um, in New York City. They're almost every block in certain areas. Um, and it's not to say that local means not test, not, not, it means organic. But you, when you're with a local farmer or a local distributor, you can ask questions 
and get a get a flavor for how uh, the food was made. And that really can inform uh, some of these decisions. So in general, um, though, I'd also say that frozen fruits and vegetables of the organic kind are even at a lower price point uh, than some of those local farmers markets in some cases. So there are sometimes uh, hacks, if you will, around this that can get you to reducing your pesticide exposure, especially for those uh, priority fruits and vegetables. And you can still get to organic in most cases. Are you familiar with any of the research showing how, well, I mean, I think most people are going to just be inclined to rinse briefly their produce. Um, But there have been a number of studies showing that soaking uh, and, and particularly soaking with the addition of like vinegar or baking soda or even salt can, um, increase the efficacy by which water can sort of leach out, you know, various pesticides. Is there any, anything that you can share there in terms of rinse, uh, soaking our produce? So I would say soaking with water um, has been found to reduce pesticide residues compared to not soaking with anything at all. I think soaking with salt and vinegar, the evidence is mixed. Uh, would I tell you that there's a negative consequence to soaking Uh, with a little salt or vinegar if you want to uh, take that approach. Um, There's really not a negative I can think of, except perhaps in some cases from the taste perspective. Um, And so I think the key issue is really avoiding adding synthetic chemical ingredients or other harsh additives that could actually introduce negative effects that counteract the benefits. Would you say that avoiding pesticides becomes um, and, and opting for organic? I mean, if you had to sort of prioritize a time in your life to do so, um, because you mentioned their influence on thyroid function, um, maybe right. for, for pregnant women, it's particularly advantageous to to, you know, reach for organic, um, you know, compared to maybe other times. Across the board, the highest Uh, profile moments in development are pregnancy and infancy, no doubt. So at the same time, we have tended to look at those populations more carefully than we've looked at adults. As this field has matured, we've started to realize that adults can be affected by these chemicals as much as uh, kids. So I'll give you an example of the phthalates again. So some of the best effects, best known effects, or worst known effects really, uh, of phthalates are the reductions in testosterone Hmm. that uh, some of the phthalates can produce. And that's a big deal, not just for brain development, because sex hormones matter for brain development, but when we're talking about adult men in particular, Low T has gotten a lot of buzz. Um, I, I get targeted infomercials uh, from Snoop Dogg about certain products targeted to men in their 40s. I'm just going to say it that way. Um, because there's uh, 40% of adult men over the age of 40 have uh, low T uh, or lower levels of testosterone. And low T is not just something uh, that's important for lifestyle. I mean, Phthalates are known to mess with sperm production, and uh, low T uh, is associated, obviously, with potency, uh, which is uh, another important problem. 
but low T is also a predictor uh, or a marker of adult cardiovascular disease and even stroke. So as much as we talk about these chemicals being a lifestyle issue, uh, they're literally a life and death issue. So we recently found that 10,000 adult men in the U.S. die each year between the ages of 55 and 64 because their levels of phthalates are high enough to reduce the testosterone in their body. And that testosterone is a predictor of cardiovascular disease. So we're talking about also $8 billion in lost economic productivity because adult men are uh, near the higher end of their salary history as well and their economic productivity. So there's uh, there are the, all these other adverse consequences as well. Wow. So let's talk about phthalates then. Where do phthalates most typically uh, lie? Uh, so let's take it part by part. So let's talk about food first and foremost. So uh, the easiest thing to avoid is microwave uh, microwaving plastics. So there's this microwave safe label that you see on a lot of plastics. That's really for gross misshaping or warping. When you talk about uh, subtle microscopic leaching of chemicals into food, uh, microwaving plastic is the best way to do that. Uh, and that's mm. also because there's not just polymers that break down into monomers uh, when you heat them, but they're also non-covalently bound additives that absorb more readily with heat into food. Also, um, machine dishwashing plastics uh, is a real no-no. Um, uh, hand washing is the preferred uh, way to go. Soap and water work just fine for most uses. Um, I appreciate um, there are uh, limits to this. Uh, if you looked in our household today, you'd see occasionally some plastic materials for certain limited uses, like kids going to school or on trips where they really just can't have glass. Uh, but we're mostly a glass or stainless steel uh, kind of household here. And that tells you the other way you can just reduce plastic use, period. There are some other ecological benefits, which is getting a bit outside the scope of today. But we know that microplastics are a big uh, ecological threat uh, to the planet as well. So there's other benefits. Uh, but bringing it back into human health for a second, there's this recycling number on a plastic bottle ranges from one to seven, three arrows in a triangle surround the number. The numbers three, six, and seven are the ones to avoid across the board. Three are for the phthalates we've already talked a bit about. Uh, six is for styrene, a known carcinogen. And seven is for those bisphenols that uh, we'll talk about uh, in a minute or two, I suppose. Uh, so those are the ones to avoid across the board. Um, and then I'll just add in a word about cosmetics and lotions. So um, this is something where you might think you need a PhD in chemistry to figure out, but Environmental Working Group has an app called Skin Deep that's pretty good at guiding you to which, uh, which materials are the ones to buy. Um, also, just looking for the word um, fragrance or phthalate is important. So why am I talking about fragrance for a second? Well, fragrance is a, is a catch-all for, uh, it's a chemistry it's industry loophole uh, for untested ingredients. Under trade secrets, the way the federal law is written, you don't have to report what's in 
the fragrance category. And so that can lead to a whole bunch of chemicals that are added with dubious if potential toxic ingredients uh, that can have their own health effects. Wow. Um, so it's, it's basically like a Trojan horse that the industry can use to basically shoehorn any, any, any kind of chemical so long as they think it's adding a pleasing scent to the product. Sadly, that's the reality. The good news is that's getting a lot of media attention. Um, and I predict in the next five or so years, you're actually seeing some some major uh, fragrance companies uh, support and cosmetic industry companies actually supporting regulation uh, to bring anybody, everyone up to a standard because they're losing market share. Hmm. And companies are starting to rule the roost. Wow. What if you see products that are fragranced with essential oils? This is another area which is also being covered in that regulation because essential oils are not a panacea. Essential oils can have their own endocrine activity. Um, And natural doesn't necessarily mean safe or safer for that matter. Um, We know, for example, that some certain essential oils can actually uh, lead to excess uh, breast growth in boys, Hmm. uh, for example. So shifting over to essential oils can actually be an innocent and well-intended error. Hmm. So basically, if you're going to buy anything for the house, you want to make sure that it's unfragranced. Uh, I would suggest that or using um, an an independent third party uh, vetting mechanism, um, particularly environmental working group is one that comes to mind. There are some industry leaders. I don't want to name particular companies. I really try to avoid endorsing brands. Uh, because that can create other conflicts, Mm. but it really tells you uh, how far we've come in the past, even just five years. Um, It's exploded um, the attention that's been given to this field. Uh, And people and consumers are really shouting out for safer ingredients and products. Yeah. Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, the bisphenols. Um, I think most people are, are most going to be most familiar with bisphenol A or BPA, but this is really a whole category of plasticizing compounds that you say that we really need to be um, cautious of. This is the case study or poster child for what I call chemical whack-a-mole. Hmm. So about 10 years ago, uh, BPA got a lot of attention, rightly so, because uh, it was being used in baby bottles and sippy cups and the evidence was coming clear that there were significant effects on kids' development and that estrogenicity was really a problem. And the chemical industry replaced BPA with BPS, BPF, BPP, BPZ, the list goes on and on. I call them the 40 artists formerly known as BPA uh, in deference to Prince. Um, And what little we know about BPS is that it's as estrogenic, as toxic to embryos, and as persistent in the environment. And so the bad news is that we've replaced BPA absent a proper regulatory framework for screening these chemicals before they're used uh, with a chemical that's equally problematic, or at least that's what the early evidence tells us. And so my advice across the board is to avoid canned food consumption. There are some companies that I've heard who are using a naturally 
based oleoresin derived lining to canned foods. Um, those are probably okay, but given um, individual circumstances, if you can avoid using cans, it's a good way to go. The other thing, and it's a lot simpler, is saying no and getting electronic receipt as opposed to that thermal paper receipt. Uh, you know, I cringe still when I see a certain major pharmacy company uh, put these receipts that go for a half a mile. Me too. Every every time you buy something, and it's just spitting out bisphenol line coating. That thermal paper lining. The reason it works is the bisphenols uh, change color. Um, they're part of that epoxy resin that changes color. That's that literally the glossy layer of the thermal paper receipt and so when you get in this printout and you touch it you're just absorbing it and, and they now people now know that hand sanitizer can actually magnify the absorption by 10 to 100 fold uh, of these um, thermal paper receipts so I pity some of the cashiers especially these days that are handling these receipts then globbing on uh, hand sanitizer to prevent various infectious critters uh, in their daily contact and then magnifying the absorption of these synthetic chemicals that are hormone disruptors. So what happens then when we, when we touch these receipts and then we, you know, without having washed our hands afterwards, we, we then reach down and hold the hands of our, of our children, you know, like what, what, what's, what's the, the route of entry for the BPA on these receipts, you know, just to, to use them as an example. And then, like, what are they do? What's BPA doing in, in the bodies of, well, in, in adults, but then also in our developing children? So there are two um, ways that BPA gets into your body. One is directly through the skin because mm. it actually is somewhat fat soluble. It absorbs right in. And when that happens, it really just is in your bloodstream without getting your liver is when you eat things or drink things is really the protector of those kinds of absorptions and you uh another way you skip that uh filter is because when you use hand-to-mouth behavior you absorb um in your saliva uh bp because you actually have potent enzymes that break down um some of the compounds are attached to bisphenols and you absorb it directly into your bloodstream And when you absorb it into your bloodstream that quickly, there are a host of consequences. So we've talked a lot about the estrogen uh, system. Uh, There's also a complicated series of steps where you respond with inflammation in your body. uh, And that can, to bisphenols, it triggers um, molecules in your body uh, that are intended to respond to infections and other things and it can actually create an exaggerated response to certain uh, pathogens, uh, but also can affect the lining of the heart and blood vessels and make things uh, stiffer. It can also uh, contribute to insulin resistance. Uh, so it's uh, bisphenol A and other bisphenols are high, high on the candidate list of what we call diabetogens. So like obesogens, chemicals that make us fatter, there are chemicals that are more likely to make us diabetic. And now there are human studies supporting that potential impact. Um, There are also a number of studies that have found that coronary heart disease, so literally heart attacks, could be 
triggered by additional uh, exposure to these chemicals. Not to say that they're the only factor. Again, diet and physical activity and other factors like genetics and all tobacco smoke exposure, all of these things matter. But it, lots of chronic diseases are what we call death by a thousand cuts. Hmm. And you, yes, it's not you can't blame every one of the thousand cuts for every person, but if you if you have add a cut to the thousand cut and that triggers five or ten people or more, hundred thousand people for developing a disease that otherwise wouldn't have happened, that chemicals the one that that pushed you over the cliff, uh, and so you can't not blame. Uh, these chemical exposures for at least being a partial contributor. Yes. In the context of all these other factors that we're talking about. Wow. So let's just do a quick, like, you know, recap um, for listeners so that they can know where to spot all these, you know, these major, these four major categories so that they can prevent to the best of their ability, uh, their exposure to them. So we've got pesticides. We talked about, you know, consuming organic food, if you have the, the ability to do that. And if you don't, um, you know, really just being mindful of the types of food, right? Yeah. So let's just, if my hit list of endocrine disruption or my top 10, uh, or top five, I can't even remember what the count would be. So eating organic, avoiding canned foods, uh, saying no to that thermal paper receipt, uh, opening your windows a minute or two each day using a wet mop. Um, don't microwave plastic. And watch for the numbers three, six, and seven on the recycling uh, triangle on plastics. Those My, are really, if I had to hit them all, the highest profile big wins. The big wins. I love that. I uh, my family loves to buy. We buy these red solo cups. I mean, I don't, but in my family, they you know they, for yep. whatever for whatever reason, and they're it's 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 a very um, particular type of plastic. It's like this brittle plastic it's not too soft it's they're really not made to be reused um but right. you look on the bottom it's got the recycling logo and in the middle it's number six which means that it's made of styrene yep known carcinogen well you want to be you want not, def- not my favorite yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now what about for the those uh environmental toxins that people may have already accumulated and that we have in us i mean is there a way to um, you know, you probably don't like to use the word detox, but I guess purge, uh, yep. you know, what we may have already accumulated. This is an area where I have to, to burst the bubble of a couple of myths that are out there. So there are a lot of people that try to offer chelation or sauna therapy or other creams or lotions to try to get rid of the chemical body burden. Um, There are a couple problems with that. One is that the chemicals you're adding may be as toxic as the chemicals that you're getting out. And there are really not rigorous studies that have documented decreases in these chemical body burdens in relationship to these exposure to these uh, detox methods, let alone any health effects that are observed. The best offense is a good prevent defense. I mean, I'm, I'm a football fan as much as, Hmm. as, as many listeners. Um, and I don't like the prevent defense 
in most contexts. But the best offense when it comes to preventing endocrine disruption is the prevent defense. That is looking forward and not looking backward. And here's where we have to take the bigger perspective. There are short, medium, and long-term benefits to preventing these exposures in the first place. So let's say you stop using a cosmetic with a fragrance or a a perfume or, or cologne. So you will see palpable decreases in levels of those chemicals in 24 to 48 hours. Some of these chemicals really filter out the body very quick. So if you do the right thing and change your exposure, you're going to see short-term changes in the chemical exposures. A few days later, you might see changes in your hormone levels that are more favorable. Let's say you had a phthalate in that perfume or or cologne. It doesn't reduce your testosterone as much. Hmm. And you can see that in a few days. Then in a few months, you'll see this reduction in your chronic disease risk profile, like chronic conditions like obesity. You might have a less tough battle with gaining weight. Um, That's not to say the evidence is rock solid connecting all the dots. We just know about exposures predicting later disease. Reducing them is a tougher thing to study still. But people are working on it. But there are these short, medium, and long-term benefits, independent of all the things that you might be self-critical or think, oh, gosh, I missed that boat, um, that are really valuable. So as much as people get in the habit of looking backwards, as I do sometimes, there's a whole bunch of hope looking forwards. And we're talking about – diseases that run the lifespan. So it's not just cognitive deficits, autism, ADHD, (coughs) excuse me. We're talking about obesity, diabetes, which is a lifelong battle. Uh, We're talking about, we've talked about coronary artery disease and stroke. We're talking about certain cancers. There's substantial evidence that these chemicals may contribute to breast and and prostate cancer, not to mention and other endocrine um, cancers. So all of these effects occur in the context of a longer lifespan. So wherever you are on that continuum, whatever disease you have or have not developed, there are opportunities uh, to reduce your future risk. And there's decent evidence for some of these conditions that you can actually reduce the severity of the disease by preventing exposure as well. So it's really about, I mean, you're never going to be able to completely uh eliminate your exposure to many of the chemicals that we've talked about, but it's about reducing your, the air, the area under the curve, I guess you could say of your, just your total body burden over the course of your life. Yes. Your lifetime body burden or your cumulative body burden, especially for some of the persistent organic pollutants, the things that stay in your body for years, you're not going to be able to roll the clock back and get those out or be able to purge them out in an effective way. But especially for some of these emerging contaminants where the chemicals really hit and run and leave the body quickly, you can do a lot now by stepping in and changing behavior. Love that. Well, we're just about out of time. Um, and, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your wisdom with, um, with the genius life and my listeners. Uh, I've got just one last question to ask you, but before we get to that, um, your book is amazing. Where can people, uh, pick it up? And if you're on social media, where can people find you? Uh, so my handle on Twitter and Instagram is Leo Trasande, T-R-A-S-A-N-D-E. Uh, my website is also leotrasande.com or sicker, fatter, poorer. Uh, 
Com, which is a little easier. And all the usual places you can find books and ebooks. The book's also an audiobook on Audible. Um, you know, any I do read it. Um, so if you've liked listening to my voice, mm-hmm. uh, you can get six, six hours or so of that uh, that way as well. Love it. The book is called Sicker, Fatter, Poor, The Urgent Threat of Hormone Disrupting Chemicals to Our Health and Future and What We Can Do About It. It's a really great book. Um, all right, Dr. Trasande. So the last question that gets asked to everybody on the show, uh, take it wherever you'd like. Um, what does it mean to you to live a genius life? Um, living a genius life to me is hope. Uh, for the the future, not just for for me, but uh, being able to 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 carry the message of uh, of wisdom and health uh, for uh, for for future generations and for all of us. It's it, what we're talking about here when it comes to endocrine disrupting chemicals are also exposures we can prevent that are known to have effects, not just even in the people who are exposed, but the kids of people who are exposed and even the grandkids of people who are exposed. So there's really a longer tail uh, to the benefits of the safe and simple steps that we've been talking about. Couldn't agree more. Well, thanks for your time. To all you guys out there in podcast land, I appreciate your attention as always. Let me know what you thought about this episode of the show. If you live in the U.S. or Canada, you can text me at 310-299-9401. I look forward to hearing from you and I will catch you on the next episode. Peace, guys.